0: My name is Matt, Uh, like Jose said, and uh, for many of you, I've never met you before, but I used to work at Sunset. I worked here for three years and uh, was an intern for a year and then worked as a director, helping with missional communities, doing youth stuff. Uh, There's many of you who I know, and I'm actually really excited to see you and and chat and even getting to hear kind of the update of what's happened over the last year in your lives. has been really fun. About a year ago. Uh, my wife and I came up on stage, and the elders and leaders of the church prayed for us and sent us out to move to beautiful Spokane, Washington. No, no cheers for Spokane. Come <laughs> well, on, the nine didn't do it either. Um, we, for a long time, um, have had felt and have felt called to be a part of a church plant there, and so this past year has really been the the realization of that that plan and that dream. So I'm going to share a little bit about that today, um, and but also just another note. So Annie, the girl who is singing, who has a much nicer singing voice than I did, is actually from the the church plant as well. Um, she's a student at Whitworth University and is an intern with us for the summer through the Great Great Program, uh, where we get to have a free intern for the summer. And she basically does everything that happens, um, so we're really thankful for that. Uh, what we're going to talk about today, especially because you guys are in this series on wisdom, is really the wisdom that, that we've seen uh, needed over the last year. Um, as I was... i got to adjust this because... Does that sound better? Okay. Uh, over the last year, m- my wife and I have had a need for a lot of wisdom. Um It's not only because we've been a part of a church plant, but I've also, for nine months, I worked for a company called Pitney Bowes, doing sales of office supplies. If you've ever seen the TV show, The Office, I was basically doing that. It just wasn't as fun. Um, And uh, more, more recently, I transitioned to a new job working at Whitworth in one of their master's programs. And... Uh, what we're going to talk about today is just as applicable to life as a salesman as it is to life as an admissions advisor as it is to the life of church planting. And so we're, we're going to talk about just kind of that wisdom of, of life, particularly because of what's happened over the last eight months, really. So I have a couple pictures, if Perry has the pictures. I think it's Perry doing the projection. I think we have pictures of, there we go, I see a cursor. So uh, we as a church have been gathering in the park for the last eight months. So there's anywhere between 25 and 35 of us on a given week. Uh, this is right now, uh, They, depending on how long my counterpart was teaching up there. He usually goes really long. Um, they probably are eating right now if everything worked out with the barbecue, which I'm not guaranteed that it did. I was on the phone in between these gatherings to, to teach someone how to cook on a charcoal grill. So, so I said <coughs> thank you to him. I told him thank you a lot of times. He goes, well, don't tell me thank you yet. Just wait until no one gets food poisoning. So this is what it looks like. So when I talk about the church, I just want you to have a visual. So we've been meeting in this park called Audubon Park. And if anyone is a Pokemon Go fan, that chimney is a Pokemon Go gym. And people within our church own the gym, which is pretty great. So there's a couple of pictures. You can cycle through them uh, just so you have a visual in your head. Um, that's Annie leading worship for us. A uh, couple families sitting on chairs. If you guys remember Daniel Komoto, he was a part of Sunset for a while. Moved with the, the Raleigh church plant, and then now he's up in Spokane. And then uh, what we realized after a couple weeks of being in the sun, there's 174 days of sunshine in Spokane a year, which is 30 more than Portland, in case you were wondering. Uh, it gets really hot in the sun. So I know it gets really ho- cold in here. And the, the balance is trying to figure out well, do you want to sit in the sun and get sunburnt and stay hot? So we, we moved over to the shade. But you see a couple of kids in the background. We have a couple of families who've gotten involved. Uh, but I just show those pictures that you saw so how you have in your mind what I talk about when I talk about River's Edge. That's, that's the church's name, River's Edge. Uh, we, we named it for two main reasons, partially because of the Spokane River that goes through uh, where we're at geographically, and then kind of the biblical imagery of a river. So that's that's what we've been doing for the last eight weeks is meeting in the park but eventually the snow and the wind and the rain will come and we can't be in the park so we uh, the goal the goal is to be in a building come September 4th which is um, four weeks from now and the goal was to be in a elementary school that is right behind that park. It's attached to it called Finch Elementary and we had gotten approved by the school district uh, to do a lot of what, like Sunset was doing at Liberty High School, where we just rent out an area, kind of bring stuff in and out, and that's how we were going to gather weekly when, when we needed to be in a building. So I got approved by the district, we were all ready to go, we were excited, felt led to be a part of this neighborhood and be in this specific building, and then uh, that be where we launched the church. And everything was all set up, and I went to go, all I had to do left was put it on the district calendar. Well, I went to go put it on the district calendar. And I got an email the next day saying, your your request has been denied. That's kind of weird. But maybe I filled out the paperwork wrong. Maybe I filled in the boxes wrong. Turns out I didn't fill out the paperwork wrong. Uh, There is another church plant named Down River Church, which will be meeting on September 4th in the exact same building that we were planning on meeting in. Uh, Which requires a whole lot of like, what? Uh, What? What do we do now? What do we do? We felt led to this. Uh, this open door was in front of us. It was all great. We went to go walk through the door and then get slammed in our face. Which kind of leads to the question of what do, you, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Or what do you do when you feel like you're being led to something and then you run into a brick wall? And even when you, when you go and you, you pray and you seek after God and you try and figure out what, what am I supposed to do? And there's no really clear answer. You don't, you don't feel like you get an answer. You just kind of silence. Uh, and that's what we want to talk a little about today that, that wisdom of that process of following after God's leadership. And so, my, my disclaimer in sharing that and all of this is that I'm sharing out of sincere study of Scripture, and I'm sharing out of just real life trial and error, probably mostly error. Uh, not from years and years of wisdom because, as you can tell, I'm 26 years old and not, it's not like I've done this a ton and so I know what's going on so I figured it out and I want to share wisdom. This is wisdom that's been passed along to me both through the scriptures and through great leaders that God has placed in my life, uh, many of whom are actually in the room today. So with that, if you would open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, we're going to read a passage of scripture that I think helps us to understand what do you do when you don't know what to do. And like I said, this whole thing, I don't want you to turn it off just because I'm talking in terms of church planting, because uh, what I'm going to say in following after God's leading or God's calling isn't just for people who work for churches or people who are in vocational ministry. This is just as applicable to life as a salesman or admissions advisor as is to anything else in life. God wants to lead his people. In Galatians 1, uh, if you, you're able to get there, the uh, The passage we're going to read, starting in verse 11, just to give you a real brief background. There's this guy named Paul, who's an apostle. He was a persecutor of the church. And eventually, uh, he meets Jesus on a road, the real resurrected Jesus, face-to-face. And we're going to read what Paul does in response to Jesus talking to him, leading him to something, calling him to something. Verse 11. Galatians 1, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He talked to me directly. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I, would, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers basically had it all going on. Then in verse 15, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. So what does this have to do with following God's leading? Well, what I want us to notice in verse 16 is what Paul does when he gets confronted with a situation of what he doesn't know what to do. So he's been on this trajectory of persecuting the church, then he meets Jesus face to face, and then He tells us what his response is in verse 16. He says, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. What the heck happened in Arabia? Uh, Just to give you a little bit of background and not a whole lot of details, but uh, the way that geographical names were back in Paul's day are different than, than geographical names today. And what most scholars think Arabia included the area where Jerusalem was and where Mount Sinai was. So, if you're familiar with the biblical story, Mount Sinai is historically this place where God speaks to his people. Um, and in reading this, what, what's called to mind is First Kings 19. Which, if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, is, is that, that story in First Kings where Elijah runs away from uh, the authorities because all heck is breaking loose. And he runs to Mount Sinai and he says to God, God, I'm the only righteous person left. What do I do now? Now He's basically pouting to God. And what does God do? You have this beautiful image of how God speaks to this human being. And it says, the winds came and and battered against the rocks and God wasn't in the wind. And the earthquake came and God wasn't in the earthquake. And the fire came and God wasn't in the fire. fire. Uh, But he spoke to him in this still small voice, in this gentle whisper, is the way it is in NIV. So you have this this picture that when Elijah doesn't know what to do, he goes to this place where historically people meet with God and God talks to him there. And then we think that's what Paul does in, in, he's describing in Galatians 1. When Paul doesn't know what to do, he goes to this place historically where p- people meet with God. And he goes to see like, hey, what am I actually supposed to do now? Was this a real experience to kind of validate, to kind of double check? which hopefully you can start to see kind of the implications for us, uh, just you and I, of, of kind of that process of what do you do when you don't know what to do. Well, uh, I'll share for us how we responded when we got that, that news of that the denial email, and we're like, uh, what do we do now? So our, our first step was to call together the leaders. Uh, we have like a core team of leadership, and we said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to get together on Friday and we're going to fast all day and then we're going to pray together, kind of listening prayer and prayers out loud, uh, get together. We're going to break our fast and then we're going to share with whatever God speaks. I was so confident that God was going to give us a thou shalt go to this building. Or I was really confident, because I hear these stories all the time and, and I want this to happen to us, where like our, one of our phone rings and it's a real estate agent who none of, none of us have ever talked to and it's like, hey, we have this building, and I just found this phone number. Do you, do you want a building? I, I was so ready for that to happen. So, so ready for that to happen. But it didn't. And, and Annie was there, and it, we got together, and we prayed, and it was like, we we still don't know what to do. The phone didn't ring. We don't have a thou shalt go to this building. Well, what do we do now? So our our genius idea. This is all just kind of like, well, I think this will work. Uh, We we went on Sunday as the church gathered together in the park. We said, all right, now everyone. We couldn't figure it out, so everyone fast and pray and come together come over to my apartment on Friday. We're going to fast. We're going to pray together. We're going to see what God says. Still no phone call. There's still no clear sense of this is what you ought to do. But there was a sense coming out of the second night together that there was this, this sense of freedom and encouragement that maybe there's not one specific building that we needed to be in, but there was... Kind of a range of options, we had a list of things coming out of that, that, okay, maybe maybe we could try that, maybe we could look into that. So, just as we think about, and we'll break it down in a couple steps, uh, step number one, I think when you don't know what to do, uh, I think number one, and that wisdom of following God's leading is really just to, to ask God, is to seek God. Uh, And in Jesus' words, it's this idea of keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking for that ongoing relationship of following after him. Uh, We see that happen in Galatians 1 when Paul goes to Arabia. And what we also see in Galatians chapter 1, I think, is step number two in this whole process. So if you look down again uh, and notice... uh, What Paul does, after Paul goes to Arabia, what does he do? Well, he goes to Damascus and then to Jerusalem to talk to Peter, the leader of the church. So, it seems like Paul goes away by himself, and then Paul comes back to a community of leadership. And if you were to read on in Galatians chapter 2, you can actually read the details of that whole process and what goes on. And what what Paul does is he goes to Peter, and it says that he wanted to double check—I'm paraphrasing— he, he wanted to double check to make sure, this is his exact words, that he was not running his race in vain. That what he was doing and what he was planning on doing wasn't in vain. So Paul, who had this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, still submits himself to leadership and still submits himself to other people and community. He's not this rogue who runs out on his own because he can. He, he actually submits himself, which I don't know if that's Scary for you, but it's it's terrifying for me. The idea that I could have this goal and vision and dream, and I could tell someone about it and honestly want their feedback, and if they tell me no, I'm gonna respect it. It's just that it just cuts against everything about me, especially as an American, where what I want is this American dream where I have this goal and vision and dream, and I, I want to work at it, and I want to work as hard as I can, and I want to see it come together, and I just, I I want to run towards my dream, because I, that's my dream. But the biblical example of decision-making actually is, I think, has a, has more to it than just that. Because just because I can do something doesn't necessarily mean I should do something. And I think Jose uh, shared this proverb uh, a couple weeks ago. It's, it's in Proverbs 27, verse 6. Uh, It's, just this one line phrase, which is really great and a good reminder all the time. Uh, It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. We need people in our lives who can tell us you're not ready or no, or "That's a bad idea. And, And that's hard and that's scary. And I can tell you from personal experience, it hurts. The wounds from a friend still hurt but they can be trusted. And that is a necessary part of it. It's not only something that I've experienced when people told me no for something, but it's something that continues to happen when we, we submit things to our leadership team and we say, hey, what do you think? Uh, sometimes I get told, no, that's a bad idea. Uh, but even though it's a scary thing, what it can mean on the back end is tremendous support. When you're all on the same page, you know what, I believe in what God's calling you to and I'm gonna do everything I can to help you get there. That's, that's the potential benefit of having a, a leadership and a community of people around you who actually get on board with, with what God has called you to. And, and one of the interesting, as I was thinking about this, and I don't know if I have any Quaker friends in the room, but if you can help me. I'm trying to remember the name of what this is called, but what you do in historic Quaker communities in, uh, in decision-making, and, and the example that I've always heard is like a kid who's 18 and who's deciding to go to college Is what you do is you get all your friends and family together in a living room. And people who know you and who you trust and who trust you. And you say, hey, here's my plan. I want to go to Whitworth University. Which if you're a senior in high school and you want to go to Whitworth University, we should talk. It's in Spokane. Um, And what you do is you get together in a living room and you say, here's my plans. And the people give you honest, genuine feedback on it. And you take it into consideration. And you actually listen to people who know you and who know your gifts and who know your personality. And they say, you know what, this is good for you or no, this is bad for you. And you actually respect and listen to those people who God has put in your life uh, as your community and even as your leadership. Uh, for us at River's Edge, how that played out was um, we, we genuinely submitted to the question to the leadership team. It wasn't just me saying, hey, I, I want to be in this building. Or uh, there's another guy named Matt who we co-lead together, which is kind of funny because I'm Matt and he's Matt. And it's not like he just said, this is what we're going to do, but we genuinely submitted it before a leadership team. And then we genuinely submitted it before the church and said, hey, you know what? Uh, there's wisdom for me as someone with outside eyes and fresh eyes on, the, on whatever's going on in Spokane, but there's wisdom from you because you know what Spokane's all about because you've lived here for 30 years. Or there's wisdom from my fresh eyes because I'm, I'm 26 and I've never done this before. And there's wisdom from your experience because you've been a pastor for 25 years we need that input from multiple angles and so if step one is really to ask God and seek God and in that sense of kind of keep on knocking really step number two I think uh, is to ask community and to ask leadership uh, it's, so step one is just to turn to God ask God and step two is to ask the people around you and to ask uh, leadership now uh, once you get those those are kind of like the safety nets uh, when I talk to a lot of people, they're they're kind of afraid about doing stuff you're like, Well what if what if I get it wrong or, or what if what if we mess it up? Those two steps are the safety nets. So you ask God, you, you both in prayer, but also you turn to scripture and you say, Okay, does this line up with God's character and what God God clearly says in scripture? And then you, you submit it before community. And then what do you do? Well the wisdom that's been passed along to me is once you get all that information, you've run through the safety nets, is you you try it. step out. You go for it. You, you get all the information and you go for launch. And that does not mean that you have all the information on the front end. And it doesn't mean that you have it all figured out on the front end. I wanted to, uh, as I was thinking about all this, start with um, this passage in Matthew 10 where Jesus sends out his disciples. And what he tells them is, hey, don't take your bag with you. Don't take extra clothes. Don't take extra money or food. But I want you to go do is go from village to village and I want you to preach and I want you to heal people and I want you to count on the hospitality of the people around, find a person of peace and stay with them. Can you imagine how crazy that is? Think of it this way. Think Jose comes back from Uganda and stands up here next week and says, Okay, what I want you to do is buy a ticket to Uganda. You're going to go to Soroti. You're going to go to Kampala. You're going to go to Rua. You're not going to take medicine with you. You're not going to take extra clothes with you. You're not going to take money with you. Um, you're, you're just going to go. And you're going to count on the generosity of God's people. But I don't think anyone would be like, yep, I'm, I'm game. No, that's like, it's, it's insane. But what we see in Scripture, both in Jesus and how he deals with his disciples... And what we see in Acts with the way that the Spirit interacts with the church is kind of that same sort of thing where you don't have all the information on the front end but there's still this calling and leading to step out into something. And that's scary because we have to be willing to fail. We absolutely have to be willing to fail. Whether it's a big thing or a small thing, we have to be willing to fail. The the examples of my own life of like how I filled at things are probably numerous. But one of the things that comes to mind is, as I think about this and have been challenged and encouraged by kind of a new angle in thinking about it, um, which hopefully I'll be as as elegant as the British guy who said it. But an example from my own life is uh, in God's healing. So uh, there's been times in my life, I'm a natural skeptic, but I have seen God heal people. And there's been times where we've invited people to get healed even here at sunset. And I felt felt very clearly, like God's Spirit speaking, say, you know what, that person's going to get healed. Either they have cancer or their elbow hurts or they're, they are in back pain, but we're going to pray for them and they are going to get healed. I had this clear sense that that absolutely was going to happen. And we pray for them. Nothing seems to be different. Like, okay, let's let's try it again. And you pray for them and, and, and it's it's still, still there. The pain's still there. And then it just begs the question of why which is probably a, a longer conversation. But it also begs the question of what harm did we do by trying and failing? None really, right? So the person was in pain before and they're in pain still. Uh, we didn't really, it's not like they died because we prayed for them and it didn't work. It's not like that, that didn't happen right away. And so we, did, we didn't cause any harm by doing that. And the way that it's been said, and I'll, again, I'll try and say it as eloquently as when I heard it. And went, wow, that actually makes a whole lot of sense. So when we pray for something or when we say something or you're like God wants me to share this and you you step out in faith and you you fail no nobody dies I mean at least 99 times out of 100 nobody dies right then cuz you failed But if you if you do step out in faith and you do start try something and you get it right well you just might see someone come to life And that that fear of failure can actually prevent us from seeing people healed, from seeing people come to life in Jesus, from seeing people's uh, just realization that God is real and he speaks to them, that when we step out in faith, there's a ton of opportunity there, yeah, to fail, but also a ton of opportunity to see people come to life. So if step one is to ask God and step two is to ask community, I think step three is really just to try it and step out in faith. The, uh, The reality is, on the fear to fail uh, and uh, just on that that whole subject is that for me in my own life and even with River's Edge, there's all kinds of times where I'm like, well, what if this doesn't work? And what if we try it and no one shows up? Or what if we try it and it just flops? And so I'd be lying to say that we're just always full of faith and it always goes really well and nothing bad ever happens. That's just not true. But here is what I've been encouraged in recently. We have to be willing to fail because ultimately if we're following after God's leading, it, it's God's leading. It's, it's God's plan. It's God's success. It's God's glory. It's God's fame. It's not mine. When, when we look at, uh, again, another proverb, I think we have it on the screen. Proverbs 16.9, it says in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So I don't think that everything happens in this life is God's will. I don't think that the evil and pain and suffering and rape, I don't think that's God's will. But when we talk about trying something and seeing it fail, what we need to do is kind of take on a new perspective. Because just because what we see as success and failure doesn't mean that's what God sees as success and failure. Ultimately, when we think about this proverb, even though it might be our plans, we have to realize who is at work behind the scenes. And that's why failing doesn't matter, because if, if, I, if, if I'm concerned about my own kingdom, well, that's going to fail in the, in the long run anyways. And, and if I'm concerned about making my own followers, or followers of a specific style of church, and that fails, well, it's ultimately not that big of a deal, because uh, it's not, it's not going to stand in the end anyways. The, the need is to take on a new perspective to see who is really at work in the whole process because it's ultimately not our plans and it's not ultimately us doing any of those things. It's actually God, the one who is at work behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. It takes hard work. It takes effort. I'm not not downplaying any of that. And those of you who know me know that that's, that's not what I'm saying. I, there's there's a need for us. Once we have all the information, we step out and try. It's to work really hard with every ounce of god-given ability and resource that you have there's no point in trying to do it halfway and there's no point in quitting halfway so we step out and we work with all of our faith but i think step number four is realizing who is at work in the whole process i I could quote uh, probably dozens of passages that speak to this reality but the one that really comes to mind that again has been kind of convicting over the last couple months is in psalm 127 so it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Now, well, the problem is that I don't always believe that on its deepest level. Uh, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. I I say I don't always believe that on the deepest level because, in some sense, I think it's up to me and my hard work. And if if I get it right, and if I say the right things, or if I set everything up the right, we pick the right time slot, or we pick the right building, or if, or if I do everything right, then it'll work. But the reality is, if I build that whole house, and God's not the one who actually builds a house, it doesn't matter. And if if I'm the one standing on the on the guard tower, if the Lord doesn't watch over the city, the guard stands watch in vain. The reality is that even though we ought to put all of our hard work and effort towards it, towards it, it's ultimately the Lord that who's the one doing the work. It's not our hard work. It's not my good looks. It's a joke. Yeah. More self-deprecating humor it could, could could flow out of that. Um it, it's ultimately the Lord who is at work in that whole thing. And and so that's why that's why when we we view things as failure we actually need to take a step back and view it in terms of, are we being faithful to God's leading? And I think when we see success, that helps us redefine success as well, because it's not our success ultimately, it's us being faithful servants to the the king who's leading us. So, uh, a note kind of of on that, um, one of the things that I want to share, I kind of mentioned earlier, When we prayed that second time, we had this sense of kind of freedom and encouragement in front of us. And I want to touch on that just for a brief moment, because when we talk about following God's leading and God's calling, what I am sure, at least for some of you, the thought comes to your mind that you have screwed up God's plan or God's will for your life. I've talked to enough people over the last couple of years Uh, In in settings, I'm I'm a National Guard chaplain. I get to do stuff with the church. I get to interact with all kinds of different people. I've talked to enough people to know that when we talk about God's will, for a handful of you, what the immediate thought is, well, I've screwed that up for my life. So I just want to touch on this idea of the freedom that God lays out in front of us. So and I think the perfect place to look at this is in Genesis chapter 2, which is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and God's command about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What we focus on quite often when we read that passage is verse 17. So, Perry's going to put it on the screen. It says, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, from you will surely die. God's will for Adam and Eve was not to eat from that one tree. God's will for them was to not eat from that one tree. But English majors and book readers will notice that that's only half of a sentence. That's only half of a thought. That's not the whole picture of what God's will was for Adam and Eve. we got to read the whole thought. So verse 16 and 17 together say, "...the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you'll surely die." Any tree, every tree, just not the one, any tree. Think about it. If you went into like an orchard, all of those trees are, are open. They're, they're free for you to choose from. Those are within your, your realm of possibility. Just don't eat from that one. I think reading that is helpful in talking about God's will and God's leading, because quite often I think that's the way that God leads us. Now, absolutely God will will sometimes say something very specific or you should go to a specific place or you should be in a specific uh, job or you should should move to a specific place. I absolutely think that happens. But I think that is the exception to the rule. Hopefully, you will be encouraged by just the, the proclamation that God's will for you is way more about you being transformed into the image of Christ than it is what 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 head of lettuce you buy at the store. Which is like a, a, a joking thing, but it, it's way more about being transformed into the image of Christ and becoming more and more like Jesus. If you did a word study on God's will in the New Testament, I encourage you to do it. What you will see and what you will realize is that God's will is way less about your job. It's way less about your spouse. It's way less about where you live. It's way less about what you do in terms of like a, like following, uh, trying to figure out is God's will for me to step on this street or that street but God's will for you is to become more and more like Jesus. So hopefully you'll be encouraged to know that that actually leaves a whole lot of room for freedom in the choices that you make in the future. But a second point on that is that if that's you, if if that's you who's, you've kind of lived under this crippling fear for a long time that I've somehow screwed up God's will and God's plan for my life, the your church leadership would love to talk to you about that. Uh, it is a crippling fear that will, will not only ruin your, your current life, but probably every day moving forward until you can, can bring that out in the light. And I know that the elders here, I know there's a handful of leaders here. I know that Jose, I know that Kenny, I know that uh, Brandon and Nate would love to talk to you about that. So if that's you and you've, you've kind of been living under this crippling fear, would you bring it up with someone, please? Because the, the way to healing forward and the way to, I think, um, get out from under that shame, which is, is not from God, is to, to just bring that out in the light and have someone speak God's life into you. Uh, as I invite the band back up, I want to close um, by, by sharing a couple things and then uh, saying a couple more things. If you're curious on where we're at in the building process, uh, we are, still have no agreement signed, with anyone and we're supposed to start gathering in a building come september 4th we uh hopefully will be signing an agreement renting out a, a church building it was within that realm of possibilities that god had laid out in front of us hopefully we'll be signing an agreement and a contract in the next week uh, with the church called messiah lutheran um, and hopefully it'll be like what, what what sunset was able to do when they first planted or what bridgetown did and is continuing to do in renting out another church's building to gather in the evenings so if you if you think about us in the coming days, hours, and weeks, uh, would you would you pray for us? Because we need wisdom for that for sure. And then I want to say, I think three thank yous. Um, one, thank you because the the wisdom and any any wisdom that I have is is a direct result of Sunset. Um, the ability that I had to to work here for three years and to be a part of this community of people and to be under the leadership here. Uh, has given me anything that I have. Uh, so, so thank you. Thank you honestly. Uh, if you're new to Sunset and you're kind of just checking this place out, what you need to know about the leadership is that they sincerely believe in what they're talking about and I've seen their lives close up and they actually put it into practice. And the tagline of experience life in Jesus is way more than just a vision statement that looks good on a poster. It's their genuine desire for you. Is is These leaders and this community of, of leadership is is sincerely invested in your life and you you experiencing life in Jesus. So thank you for letting me be a part of that and letting me learn uh, for three years. Two, um, thank you for your generosity. Uh, What you saw in those pictures is a direct result of your generosity. So if you don't know, part of your giving goes to a fund for church planting and evangelism, which happens with stuff in Uganda, like what Jose's doing, but also helps support River's Edge. And uh, the barbecues that we have are because of your generosity and the food that we have are because of your generosity. And the fact that we can even rent a building is because of your generosity. So thank you. Thank you sincerely for that. Uh, and then third, thank you for, for letting us be here, for letting Annie and I be here. Um, I, I started tearing up last gathering because... Your generosity and, and what you've allowed us to do is seeing God do something that he gave me a vision for or us a vision for six years ago. So it's a genuine, genuine heartfelt thanks to say thank you for allowing us to be here this Sunday, but thank you for everything that you've done for us because when you actually get to see what God has has led you to, especially in something like this uh, it's a truly humbling experience, and it's a truly joy-filled experience to be able to see God do something like that. So, thank you for allowing us to do that from the from the bottom of my heart. Um, so, as we continue on and worship together, just I want to leave with this: just saying, thank you.